Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the previous episode, I spoke with Dennis Wall, founder of Cognoa, a company that took a very unique product entry strategy with combination of diagnostics and therapeutics, starting in autism. Today, we jumped right into the Drug Plus discussion with Pam Stahl, Chief Commercial Officer of Sidekick Health. In their own words, Sidekick Health is all about gamified digital therapeutics built on science, rooted in behavioral economics, and scalable across multiple therapeutic areas. But before we dive in, I was supposed to interview Trigby, one of the founders, for season one, but due to a number of conflicts, we postponed it. Well, this gave the company a chance to bring in a superstar in commercial scaling, Pamela Stahl, and I truly enjoyed getting to know her and more about the trajectory of Sidekick. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Pam. Pam, welcome to the DTX podcast. For all of our listeners, would love an introduction from you, who you are, a little bit of your career and how you got to DTX, and one very important piece is an interesting fact about you. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, hi, Eugene. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to you and then share my insights with your listeners. So yeah, I'm Pam Stahl. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer and President of North America for Sidekick Health. A little bit about my background. I've been in U.S. healthcare, been in healthcare for my entire career, which is about 30 years. Although like I say to my friends and others, I actually feel like I've spent my whole career in healthcare. I am a doctor's kid. And I was that... Uh, oldest of four girls and uh, very proud of my father and would sit at the dinner table and actually was interested in all of his stories about his patients and his experiences during the day. And to the point where uh, when I was a kid, he would take me to the little hospital in Seward, Nebraska. And in those days, I could go on rounds with him and get a chocolate milkshake and or chocolate malt and all those things. I have about half of my career is on the pharma side. So I started my career with Merck. I feel very blessed to have done that in sales. And uh, that's when Merck was America's most admired company and number one sales force in the country. So I learned a lot in that time with them and I'm thankful for the kickoff that they gave to me for my career. Went over and helped them start a company called Astra Merck, which became through mergers and success AstraZeneca. So about 15 years on the pharma side, Merck, Astra Merck, AstraZeneca. Then went to a tiny little telemedicine company actually where I built their sales and marketing group. We were privately held. We were the first company in America to put video into people's homes, American telecare. Real trailblazers. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It operated over POTS. If anybody knows what POTS is anymore, that's the phone jack where you plug a phone in. We don't have those anymore. But in the day, we would send our telemedicine box, the video box to a patient's home, and they would take their phone out of the wall and they would plug this into the wall and their nurse would call them over the unit and do a televisit. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I can talk more about that if you're interested. But that's where I really sparked my interest for, at that time, telemedicine engagement, which is now I consider digital health. And then I spent about 15 years overall at United Health Group. I had a really nice career, a lot of great friends at United Health Group. I spent 12 years there. My last job with United Health Group was president of their Medicaid business for the state of Wisconsin. And then I spent about four years at Anthem. And my last position with them was the president of their Georgia commercial business I live in Atlanta, and I joined Sidekick Health in January of this year. I've been there for about six months. Awesome. I've known Sidekick for a number of years, and knowing what I know about them, 
they're lucky to have you, given your background both on the life sciences, pharma, but also the health plan side, as we'll talk more about. What convinced you to join them and actually move to yet another startup and specifically DTX? Just curious. Before we get into the historical nature of Sidekick. Yeah, yeah. So I was not looking, the classic, I was not looking for a job. Yes, of course. And when I was contacted by the sidekick recruiter, I mean, that's the classic thing that happened, right? I got called by a recruiter. I decided, I'll just tell you, their people, their leadership, and their business model spoke to me. And, you know, we can talk about the people and the leadership there and my colleagues who I have great respect for. And we continue to expand our executive team, certainly with more people here in the U.S. as we plan to grow in the U.S. But also, you heard my background. I really feel like I've come full circle in many ways. And I'm able to leverage, I hope for this company now, my depth in pharma, my depth on the payer provider side, as well as that little spark there in the middle with telemedicine. And I'll say one other thing about that, having a life and or career in healthcare. Look, number one, US healthcare system is still super fragmented. And in all the places that I've been with all the great people and great work happening, we still haven't solved that. Number two, Helping people be healthy at its core is based on behavioral economics and individuals making the right decisions for their own health. Unless that happens, the healthcare system can't fix what's going on. And I felt like at this stage in my career, I wanted to join a company that was really focused on individuals making the right choices for their own health and enabling the healthcare system then to be successful with and around them. Amazing. And knowing Trigvi and a few other executives while I spend some time in pharma, let's get back to a little bit for our listeners, the story of Sidekick. We were actually supposed to record last season, but just timing and the script itself. So we're here this season now with you, which is fantastic. Maybe for our listeners, a quick history, for lack of a better term, of Sidekick, how it originated, and would love to hear that. I'll do my best to channel Trigvi and Sam, our founders. So. <laughs> The company is founded by two physicians. That also attracted me to the company, being a doctor's kid. So Sam and Trigvi were practicing physicians in Reykjavik in Iceland. And they both became frustrated with the fact that they would see their patients. They would coach them. They would guide them. They would create care plans for them. They would write prescriptions for them, all in the best interest of those individuals. And then they would send their patients home. And by the time they saw them again, your doctor loses touch with you in between. And so you hope that the patient has the tools and resources or the individual has the tools and resources they need to make changes in their life and to improve their health. And they just saw time and time again, that wasn't happening. And so Trigvi actually, I think he would say he took a sabbatical. I hope I'm using the right way he would describe it. Studied behavioral economics at Harvard, went back to Reykjavik, and he started building this little company, wasn't named Sidekick Health at the time, but started building this little company in 2014, he and Sam. And it was at that time that they really were focused on what interventions, what tools, what capabilities could be used, could our patients use when they're not with me in the office? And that's where they started experimenting with digital health. And again, the use of behavioral economics and gamification to inspire people to make change in their life. So from 2014 until now, Last year, last spring, I think we had 40 employees. We're at about 200 employees now in 14 countries. We just closed on our Series B round this spring. Really excited about that. And we have some really premier partners, both on the pharma side and on the payer side in the U.S., that we're working with to, look, 
digital therapeutics is still a growing industry. It's still an evolving industry. I think we're all learning and we're really pleased to have some great partners where we're learning together and getting patients on our platform. And the early data that we're seeing is really positive. I hope that answers your question. Fantastic. No, this is great. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the chief medical officer and general manager of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hi, Pamela. You are a starter from the Nordics, and you've made waves in the United States and the UK. We know about some of your big news announcements and partnerships with different stakeholders from the ecosystem, right? So how do you prove to your partners what your focus is and that you have a really deep understanding of a specific market? Thank you, Chandana. Yeah. So first of all, I haven't gotten that question from companies that I'm talking to in the here US, that isn't something that has been a challenge so far, demonstrating that. And I think partly because, look, we've hired leaders all over the world. We've hired people all over the world. Although many of those people have lived in the US and they moved to Amsterdam, but they have deep US experience. I'm here now and we are hiring more people in the US. So we're deepening our bench on US experience. But at the end of the day, what we're doing it really doesn't have country boundaries. It's about focusing on human behavior, and we're all humans, no matter where we live in the world, and how to inspire and engage people to make the right decisions for your health. And that's universal. So yeah, it's important to understand the health system in the UK versus the health system in the US. And we have expertise to do that. We have consultants helping us to do that too, whenever we need it. But we focus, we just keep bringing it back to what do we need to do to change human behavior? And it's the same everywhere. And I'm going to jump in as always. So while absolutely agree with you, Pam, we're all human beings. We all go through our health journeys. Investors, however, even also human beings and go through the health journeys, the investment cycles and investment strategies and uh, sort of very difficult. I would love to kind of go back to the origination story. And I know, again, you weren't there, but hopefully, you know, a little bit of the story of the fundraising efforts. Now, congrats on the larger round just recently, which I know other investors, not just European investors came in. So would love to hear a little bit more about that funding journey for a young company in Iceland. Yeah. So, I mean, I believe that Trigby and Sam started with people they know. So friends in Iceland and individuals that trusted Sam and Trigvi. And I think for any young and experienced or young in age entrepreneur, finding those people that have complete faith in you and that are partners with you. If you're looking for advice on how do you do that first raise, that's so critical because, you know, I mean, you're a serial entrepreneur, I think yourself, or at least have been advising entrepreneurs like Eugene and, and having people at your side that not only want to flip some money to you, but actually have invested an interest and trust in you to grow your business is so important. And so Sam and Trivi started with that. And from there, those same original investors continue to invest and invest in bigger ways as Sam and Trigvi and now the sidekick team continues to be very focused on what is our commitment every quarter, make sure we deliver on those commitments and your investors will grow as you do that, as you demonstrate that you follow through on your commitments. We now have investors in Europe, as you mentioned as well, as well as here in the US. And you know, of course we wanna to continue to add to our mix. But as we closed on our series B round this year, 
I know the markets are certainly tighter now than when we did that close. That's for sure. So I'm thankful that we did that raise when we did. But it really wasn't a challenge. It was more about dotting the I's and crossing the T's with our current investors because they believe in what we do. They believe in our leadership team and the market opportunity globally. Before we leave the, let's call it the past behind us, maybe one more question on this. As always, there's a business hypothesis. So let's leave the current out of this. Any idea what was the original business hypothesis, right? Two doctors starting a company. I'm sure there were some discussions about making money. (laughs) Can you comment on that? (laughs) Yeah. Here's what I'll say. The original business hypothesis, because it were a physician-led company, and then one of their early hires was also a leader in digital product development from the gamification industry. That tells you a lot about their thinking. I think Oli, he might have been the third employee. I'm not sure about that, but certainly in the first five. So you have two physicians who then identify, we want a product development leader to lead our product organization that comes from the mindset of gamification, all about engaging people. And so their original hypothesis was that. We're going to figure out how to engage people in a way that no one else is doing so that to enable their own behavior. And you mentioned revenue and profits. At some point, every company has to make money. Of course you do. You know, I'm the chief commercial officer now, so that's what I do. And that's my job. I've been in small companies. Every time you hit around, those expectations get bigger and bigger. And it's my job, our company's job to bring that revenue in. But one of the things that I'm so thankful for is our investors are very focused on both short and long-term revenue. So we definitely need fuel. We need to demonstrate our ability to bring in fuel, but they also understand the need to find the right partners, do the right deals that enable a sustainable business. And I'm thankful for that balanced perspective from them. Thank you for that. Let's switch gears a little bit. Would love to for you to take our listeners through what is that patient slash health consumer experience with your products? I know there's multiple as you're working with a number of companies in life sciences space and now health plans. Maybe pick one or if there's a generic pathway that you can describe, but what does that look like? Yeah, I'll do my best. So once a patient or user or member, depending on our situation, you can use those words interchangeably. Let's use a patient for now. Let's take a patient. Is identified as the right candidate for our product or technology, they get an opportunity. They're told by either, in some cases, it's their physician. In some cases, it's a payer company or care manager. Sometimes it's a direct outreach from Sidekick that they're eligible to participate and have access to our cell phone app. I mean, the outward facing, what a patient sees is an app. It's what it is. And they download the app. And once they get into the app, depending on what their application is in the app, say they have diabetes or they have high-risk pregnancy or they have congestive heart failure, the app's been designed to meet that person where they are. They're asked to enter in some content. And over the time that they interact with our product, they'll be entering information along the way. And the smarter that our app gets about them, the more they interact with it, our AI engine kicks in and the personalization really starts to happen. So two people with congestive heart failure, as their engagement with the application goes over time, their experience is going to be different. And what we serve up to them is going to be different, whether it be content or nudges, behavioral economics language, the nudges to help them make right choices at the right time, whether it be videos, whether it be other suggestions, that's all personalized based on what we learn about them along the way. Perfect. 
So what I'd love to go into a little bit, and I know as your role is to drive the commercial expansion, obviously for digital therapeutics and especially working with pharma and what you mentioned around gamification. And I love that from that perspective. Can you talk a little bit about the clinical evidence gamification and how you guys combine the two? And also, honestly, I mean, what the complexities from a clinical trial perspective, how do you actually working with pharmaceutical companies in this context? Yeah. So in terms of the clinical trials with pharmaceutical companies, that is a core part of who we are as a company. We are committed to taking our products through life science style evidence generation. So feasibility studies, randomized clinical trials, real world evidence, all the way to the path of FDA approval. That's what we're doing. We do have experts from pharma who work for our company, people who have spent their careers. I'm one example. We have many others, including our new chief medical officer who has deep pharmaceutical background. That enables us to at least have a perspective on what it takes to do clinical trials well. But we also recognize that our pharma partners have combined hundreds of years of experience in doing this well. And so you'll note my choice of words. These are our pharma partners. I've got a team that's the pharma partnerships team. That's what they do. And so I will give us credit for as our company's humble enough to know that we understand the complexity. We understand generally what needs to happen. And we partner with our pharma partners then to build out the clinical trial plans and work those together. And by the way, when it comes to digital therapeutics, like you mentioned, that's kind of new ground. And so the pharma partners also don't know exactly what's the best way to, to do these studies, but together we're figuring it out. So I know you just came out of a large health plan. So I promise, I think one more question on pharma. You guys have announced Eli Lilly partnership, Pfizer partnership. Can you talk a little bit deeper and peel the onion on those two? Yeah. I mean, some of our relationship is confidential, as I'm sure you can imagine. But I can tell you, so if you take Pfizer, for example, we're focused on several disease areas, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and atopic dermatitis. And then with Lilly for breast cancer is our first program in Germany. And we're really excited about those. And at the end of the day, when we work with these pharma partners, our focus is to identify and eliminate gaps in care, connect patients to healthcare professionals, help patients continue to improve with their disease state. And so what I see and hope will continue to happen with our pharma partners is that as we demonstrate an ability together to even more improve patient health and outcomes, keeping people out of the hospital, help people get healthier faster, that our opportunities with these existing pharma partners as well as new pharma partners will continue to grow and expand by adding new therapeutic areas or going into even more countries. That's the goal of what we want to do. The other thing, I know you said we'll get into payers in a minute. I see the opportunity with payers and pharma and providers as not truly separate business opportunities. I believe for a company like ours, we need partnerships with all and they're gonna interact with each other, whether it be our pharma partnerships, where we're working toward a path of FDA approval for our digital treatment. At some point, we want the payers to reimburse for those. That's not today for us, but that's part of our path. And in addition, on the payer or provider side, there's such an opportunity to help them extend their care managers, enable their, in that case, members to improve their health when they're not interacting with the payer, 
And then medication adherence, that's something that all of these groups care about, whether it be a payer or a provider or a pharma partner. So there's so many intersections, which is why we're focused on developing partnerships across the whole. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Pam Stahl, Chief Commercial Officer at Sidekick Health. So as I promised, that was the last question on pharma, at least for just a little bit. I may have one more. By coming out and spending some uh, time in pharma, I do say that the industry has been saving and extending people's lives for many, 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 many years. And I think the beauty of digital is it's bringing new capabilities to treatments and modalities. But with that, coming out of a health plan, and you kind of alluded to the importance and looking at the model, yes, pharma, health plans, and providers, but maybe specifically, I mean, again, still relatively young-ish startups, so pre the current round, how did the payer relationship evolve? This was a pretty large deal, and I'm not talking financially, just more from a news perspective for Sidekick, but can you talk a little bit how that evolved and actually even the thinking of entering a health plan versus sticking and doing what you do best in pharma? Yeah. So I know the company was contacted by our payer partner to explore how our solutions could enable their care management function. And what I'll say, just being a health plan person for half of my career, being a payer person in the U.S. here for half of my career, any payer, all payers are looking for opportunities because at the end of the day, the employers right in the U.S. are paying the payers to do their good work. And one of the things that the employer partners are expecting payers to do is engage with the employer's employees and help them be healthy and stay well. And it's always a challenge for a health plan to figure out how to get you know, consumers to interact with them. And as much as I love my career at working for payers, I can say this as just a person in the U.S., I don't wake up in the morning hoping that I can talk to my insurance company, right? That's just not something we tend to do, right? <laughs> I don't think anybody does. Nobody does that, right? So, and insurance companies know that. The payers know that. And they've got great care managers on staff who are trying to find ways to engage with people. But all payers are trying to find a way to do that with a more frequency, more relevance, and certainly more cost-effectively. And so... One of the things I love about Sidekick is we are not a point solution digital therapeutics company where we have one digital therapeutic in hypertension or one in behavioral health. We are developing a multi-chronic platform so that people with multiple conditions, we can weave together our nudges, our interactions, our content that contemplates that whole person. And so if you're a payer, one of the things that resonates with them when I talk to them is like point solutions abound. There's a point solution for everything. And that is challenging for payers to integrate, to deal with, to manage, and for their members. Look, if I'm a person who has diabetes, congestive heart failure, I'm obese and have some depression, there's an app for all those four things. I don't want four apps. I just don't. And so what Sidekick is doing in our interaction with our payer partner and others is exploring how can we have one digital platform that meets the needs of people with multi-chronic conditions. In addition, I mentioned payers have their care management functions and scalability is a challenge for them. And especially after the pandemic, 
nursing costs. I was talking to the health system CEO a few weeks ago, and he was sharing with me that his nursing costs pre-pandemic averaged around $67 an hour. They're now in the U.S. upwards to $175, $180 an hour. And so that cost of labor in the U.S. is not just in health systems, that's overall. And so whether it be integrated delivery networks or payers, they're also looking for opportunities to scale and scale in a way that they can afford. And then finally, the other thing that these payers are looking for, which is the same thing pharma companies are trying to understand, it goes back to the first part of our conversation, Eugene, is this user patient engagement. And at Psychic, we are experts in that. Experts in the use of behavioral economics principles, gaming design, we have sound designers, UX teams, and of course, physicians that are experts in their field to build our user experience in a way that people want to engage with, that enables them to change their habits in a lasting way. When I think about these three things, whether it be elimination of point solutions, scalability, and then truly having a member or user experience that enables people to make the right decisions, that's kind of a universal thing that payers, health systems, pharma companies are all looking for. And maybe just to follow on, right, just let's stick with the payer for a second and we can maybe loop in the provider part of it. Again, you kind of said, well, nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to call a health plan. To a certain extent, of course, depends even on the provider and where you live and what's the nearest one. Nobody likes to go unless it's an emergency. And therefore, the complexity around putting some of these novel digital therapeutic products to deploy them across a health plan and engaging and through the providers that have shrinking margins, maybe you can talk a little bit about DTX product being deployed in those two scenarios and some of the challenges and how you guys are helping overcome it. Sure. And this is where I'm thankful again for the Sidekick team. So... It is complex. Introducing digital capabilities into a payer infrastructure isn't for the weak of heart. That's for sure. It's not a simple task. And yet our team has done it. And I think it's partly because you're speaking to someone who is not a product design expert or technology expert, but my observation of what the Psychic team has built is a highly adaptable, flexible, integratable platform. And so we have integrated our technology into one of the most complex payer ecosystems possible. And I think part of the reason we're able to do that too is because we've got such bench strength that we have at the company from US payers, from healthcare, and as well as technical expertise that enables us to do that. So that's maybe not as specific an answer as would be most helpful. Some of my colleagues would be better at answering that, but we have been able to do that. Enabling integration is just foundational to our platform. We know it has to be that way. It can't be a standalone. It's funny, I would actually add, and don't want to speak for you, but when I asked the question, yes, there's the technical integration and the product integration and the experience integration, but there's also the, I'll say the political aspects, navigating your environment. And, you know, it wasn't on purpose an open question, but I do think that's why I kind of alluded to the fact that you came on board having the pharma background, but also navigating health plans. It's probably nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to navigate health plans either. <laughs> so. No, thank you for clarifying your question. So yeah, that is something that takes time for sure. And having relationships is really helpful. I mean, you know, just to go to the bare bones basics, it's really helpful. And so I do spend, as you can imagine, a lot of my time on the phone explaining and seeking to understand needs across our payer partner as well as others. And I would call it building a coalition of believers and innovators 
And that's true on the pharma side too. It's true with any new sale, but having those internal champions who understand what we have, understand what their needs are and how the two fit together. So I do spend a lot of my time building those bridges. And then we also, you know, if you think about a payer partner in the model that we have, their care managers are still, it's not like they are introducing our digital technology and then wiping their hands of it and hoping that the digital interaction, you know, thank you very much, it's good to go. Their care managers interact with our care portal. They stay connected to the patients. And so there's a training element that our partners do and that we augment to help the payer user base, so to speak, really feel confident and understand how to not only interact with the individual who's using the app and stay connected to them as needed, as appropriate, but also know how to work with our care portal. Because we do have a, it's an easy user interface, but sophisticated care portal for our partners to be able to use to calibrate interactions and um, see what's going on with the patients that they manage. I did promise that I may or may not have a pharma question, but I think I'm going to broaden it a little bit. Last season, I would ask the question, is the DTX company that knows, I mean, you just talked about gamification and designers and user experience, that knows that experience of that end consumer or health consumer will swallow a pill inside, meaning that will become the front door, for lack of a better term? Or we're now starting to see pharma companies doing even more investments in digital therapeutic companies, tighter partnerships, even some of the ones that you announced. And, you know, at some point we'll see probably a slew of acquisitions as the revenues grow with these DTX companies. I would almost expand the same to a health plan. Where's that experience start and go? And I'm sure we're going to start seeing, I mean, we've seen, not going to mention any other names, but the investment arms have been investing in digital therapeutic companies and health plans and even providers. So I'm curious on your thinking, are the digital therapeutic companies going to become some of those front doors and start swallowing other experiences because they know the patient experience, consumer experience, or the reverse? Yeah, that's a million dollar question. Probably billions, actually. Actually, I think you're right. I, well, you know what? I, as a CCO for a sidekick, I hope it's a billion dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. In any maturing industry, this is a natural state of things. And right now, there's so many little companies, incubator companies at various stages of maturity in our industry. And I think that's all great and healthy for all of us because we're all helping to build a market, mature a market, and most importantly, generating evidence. Because what's going to make this industry real and provide comfort that DTX is going to be a solid revenue stream. And as businesses, we touched on that before. At some point, there's got to be a revenue stream. You got to pay for what you do. So as our industry matures, as data becomes more real, as we demonstrate solid revenue streams, I think we are going to see more payers investing, reimbursing, and integrated DTX into their offering. We're going to see more, even bigger investments, whether it be from traditional investors or perhaps through venture arms, pharma venture arms, payer venture arms, and others. And I do think there's going to be consolidation. This is Pam's point of view, right? But I think some of the reason there'll be consolidation is there are so many companies, and I don't see a lot of them. I'm sure there's some duplication, but kind of with varying little bit different points of view. And I think there will be companies that will come together to leverage those slightly different points of view to be even stronger together. So I do think that'll happen. And again, that's a natural state of any maturing market. I'd be curious to know what you think. 
I love it. You're the first one, I think, to turn it back around on me. I love it. My short version is I think it'll depend on a therapeutic area as well. And we will see both. We will see the large players acquiring to fit their portfolio. And I always use the example of uh, some neurodegenerative digital therapeutics that once those companies are making enough, some of the larger pharma companies will buy versus invest and vice versa. I'm going to ask a few more, just a few more. I know uh, we're limited in time and the attention of people, but very selfish question. You alluded to the cost of nurses almost tripled. We also realize in society that, yes, AI is great, but as we say here at Your Coach, human eye is still better than AI. Curious on your thoughts and interactions. I spent some time at a health plan, but now with digital therapeutics on a role of health coaches that play with some of the technologies out there. Yeah. Our point of view at Sidekick is that it is both. You can't completely lose human touch. So we actually, for some of our pharma partners, we employ coaches Depending on what the pharma partner wants, we provide coaches that augment our digital offering as needed. And certainly on the payer side, at least so far, the interest has been in, I'll call it, extending and enabling their care managers in a different way. But one of the things that's been really interesting to me, it shouldn't surprise anyone, but to see the data is interesting, is that the engagement with our application, more than 50% of it is not between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m which of course, human beings, most of us are working or busy during the day. And that's when often, not always, I mean, I appreciate your business. Maybe that's different for sure, right? But certainly for payers, you got your care managers who are working during that time period. It's when people come home from work and they're like, mm, am I going to have a steak for dinner or should I have a salad? And maybe we can catch them with a nudge at that point in time. And that's when they engage or they log their steps. So, but we do think availability of a human touch will always be important. Coming out of as a health plan executive before, and I usually ask the question of what advice you would give, and I'm going to pick what advice you would give to a health plan executive when it comes to digital therapies. Mm, yeah. So, okay. Having been one of those, here's what I would say. There's so many resources within a health plan and so much experience and so much data that it can be easy to fall into a, we know best, let's just augment that kind of mindset. What I would advise a health plan executive is to look to digital therapeutics partners who can bring not just technical expertise, but bring the clinical expertise and most importantly, really, that behavioral economics behavior change expertise that health plans really haven't figured out and listen, listen to that and use it because you can get technical expertise all over the place to augment what they do. And that's really not the secret sauce. The secret sauce is the clinical behavioral, that kind of expertise. And I think it's easy to not have an open mind to listen to that. Thank you, Pam. And we started with you and we always want to end the episode with you. So we'd love to know kind of what is your why, what gets you up in the morning? Oh, what gets me up in the morning? Well, I mean, I'm a mom. So getting up in the morning, I love hearing what my adult children are up to. They're in their late 20s and early careers. So I check in with them and it'd be remiss if I didn't say my family gets me up in the morning first and foremost. But aside from that, from a career perspective, look, I've had 30 years in the healthcare industry. I want to make a difference at this point in my career. And I feel blessed to be where I am to really feel like I've done something that changes healthcare and helps people be better. And that sounds Pollyanna, but it's true. 
Love it. Well, Pam, thank you for making the time. And I'm sure our listeners will enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.